0: Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode.
2: For Christ's sake, Pino, they grew up on my food. On my food. And I'm very proud of that. You may think it's funny, but I'm very proud of that.
0: Welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where this week we're continuing our exploration of Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host
1: here in San Diego, California, voiceover artist and mad lover of Spike Lee and this
0: movie, Do the Right Thing. It is a fantastic movie, and we couldn't talk about it without our fantastic guest. Yes, our fantastic guest who is returning Founder
1: of Four Horsemen Films, he's a writer, director, actor, voiceover artist, personal friend of mine, and a guy I've hosted shows with before, way in the uh, way in the past times. And we're excited to have him back again. Andre Gordon, how are you, Andre?
3: Guys, so good to be here again. So happy to be with you guys again. But you lovers of the movie, I'm. I fell in love with it again. I refell mm-hmm. in love with it. Forgot how great it is how complex and simple it is all at the same time. Can't wait to get into the rest of this movie.
0: Um, well, I think we should just jump right back in. Where we left off, we had just seen, I think, the, the most fun part of the film, which is we had the fire hydrant open, kids were playing in the water, and then this uh, gentleman came in with this convertible. Things didn't go that well for him. He tried to talk to the cops. That didn't work out very well either, <laughs> and now we're going to be back at Sal's. And what is Sal doing? He's on the phone. And I didn't catch this at first.
2: He left there about a half hour ago. Oh, that's not, no, no, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, half hour, right.
0: And what he's clearly doing is checking up on Mookie.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Where
2: the hell you been, Mookie? I got a business
0: to run, okay? I don't think Mookie is the best of employees. <laughs> you know, something I was thinking about that I kept meaning to bring up is that these characters are so symbolic and their names are so symbolic. Because in addition to Mother, Sister, and Demare... Yeah, We have a guy with a big radio named Radio Rahim. We have a guy who keeps getting angry named Buggin' Out. And do you think that Mookie's name is connected to Mooch? Or That's what that I thing? thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's the intention because it, it, that's what it makes me think of.
3: I'd I, I have to agree with you. When I heard, you know, I, initially, I didn't think about it when I was, you know, 16, 17. But going back and rewatching it as an adult and then watching it again now, Mookie, Moocher, and then his whole disposition and attitude towards his employer, which I thought was quite interesting that Spike Lee wrote, a sense of entitlement to all the characters, even though they're in an underprivileged neighborhood. Everyone seems to have some sort of entitlement issue. And I, I really found that interesting. They typically, uh, you know, society talks about entitlement for the rich white. But you can see, there's an, he, Mookie feels like he's, he could just take off work and take a shower and go see it, do whatever he wants. And then, you know, you have the sons who have a sense of entitlement. I just thought that was a really interesting dynamic, but yes, Moochie Mookie. Interesting.
1: Yeah. The different uh, points of views going on here with this situation. Right. Cause I mean, obviously you're looking at it as three of us who are hardworking blue collar d- dudes, uh, you know, looking at a guy like this, we're like, uh, like, Hey man, you-, you can't be running off for half an hour or whatever. Like people depend on <laughs> get these things delivered And whatever, and clearly this is this has been a problem with Mookie since the beginning. Um, uh, But Mookie feels like, hey, the neighborhood is my neighborhood, so I can do what I want in my neighborhood. You know, he has that weird kind of sense of entitlement as well in that way. But yeah, this is this is what Steve touched on in the last episode. This idea of how Spike Lee has no problem putting himself. As these characters that are not that sympathetic, and they take advantage of situations for their own benefits, and certainly throughout this whole movie, there are numerous examples of Mookie uh, overstepping his bounds, and also doing what he wants to do regardless of what anyone thinks, and claiming that he's got stuff on the he's he's going to figure it out. He's got stuff on the he's working on stuff. He's going to get stuff. Don't you worry? And I think there's a, a bit of um,
0: uh, you know distaste for that when you're watching it in the movie. I think I 100% agree. By the way, there are weird, weird things happen when you're making movies. And one of the things happen when they're shooting this scene is they only manage the prop guys only managed to get two pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had to reuse the pizzas, which means cool. they couldn't cut the pizzas, oh. which means if you watch John Turturro slicing that pie in the background, he is not slicing the pizza. His the little cutting tool is like hovering above the pizza and he's faking it and apparently <laughs> Totoro was so pissed that he had to he was furious that he had to, like let me just cut the pizza how can I do this <laughs> and, so, and it's so one of those things where like once you see it you can't not see it yeah <laughs> but Vito decides to go with Mookie on the delivery to Señor your love daddy and I think this is one of the most interesting relationships in the film
1: Vito I know Pino's your brother and shit but you should kick his ass in, in a way, once again, this is what I mean. Mookie kind of overstepping these bounds a little bit, and you get it because because they're boys, they're friends, and whatever. So he's trying to tell him, hey, don't don't do this, don't do that. And Mookie, probably not the most uh, emotionally intelligent guy, inserting himself in between brothers, two brothers, uh, two Italian brothers, no less. It's that's not a good thing you want to do because it's it can be an explosive situation. But it's no different than what uh, uh, Pino is trying to do to Vito by trying to convince him to go against Mookie, so you know he's getting torn by both sides in this situation here, and it's a little—it's a little corruptive of uh, of uh, Mookie to do this to try to kind of put him on his side and then tell him the next time he does anything, you should slap him in the face. It's just like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to instigate violence between two brothers here? Let them handle it. It's none of your business.
3: Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that, John? What's interesting is how he reacts to each character so mm. he says to Mookie oh you really think that would help at one point like you know he's he's going through it with him but yeah. then when his brother is talking to him he's like "But well, you don't know him like I do so right it, it, he he's defending Mookie yeah but to his own brother he's like you know he's considering it oh you really you really think that could help so I yeah. thought that was interesting how Spike is showing the potential division between the brothers and like you said, Italian brothers. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's a, that's a tight master lock.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things, and I, I won't quite go as far as say this is a flaw is we don't really see Pino beating, beating up on Vito before this, you know what I mean? So like, there's right. not a lot of reason why Mookie's saying it at this point, but what I do think is interesting is that I think Mookie and Vito is to whatever degree is possible. A real, a friendship. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, but I
1: think because we've had this time with Pino to see his reactions to things, right. the fact that Mookie alludes to a possible physical stuff between them in the past with Vito and Pino is not out of the realm of possibility. We kind of accept it as, yep, sure, that seems to make sense.
0: Um, by the way, they, they, they just gave Samuel L. Jackson a bunch of hats and <laughs> different outfits. And it's just so funny to be thinking about, like, where his career goes. And, you know, this is a guy that loves clothes. <laughs> and right now he's got a pith helmet on. <laughs> um and, and i love too that he it gives you such a sense of community that he said he's talking on the radio about how hungry he is and here comes Mookie with food from sal's famous you know yeah, yeah. it gives you the sense of everyone is sort of together
1: what well, i love that uh, D- uh senior love daddy is frustrated when he's watching Mookie and what is it uh, Mookie and pino like going at or vito are going at each other there having the conversation he's waiting for his food and he's just like Come on now. You can see him in the background gesturing like, give me my food, which is so funny. (laughs) Such an extra. Most directors don't want a character in the background distracting from the scene that is happening. But seeing that, but that just adds to what's going on between them. It adds to the building tension here between the two that they are
0: having this argument at the expense of the hunger of senior love daddy. So I I love that. Oh, and why is he waiting so long for the food? Because Mookie took a half hour to come back for the last delivery.
3: And it all goes back to, again, I always find writing, real great script screenwriting is incredible to me. You know, and Sal talks about, you know, these, I watch these people grow up on my food. Mm. I take real great pride in that. And no matter how angry or happy, everybody in the entire community does love the food. So again, no matter what the situation is, someone's hungry, they're getting the pizza. They're not... They've established another store across the street where yeah. they could
0: get food. But the, the food of choice is the pizza. But By the way, am I the only one who kind of wants a slice of, Fa- of Sal's Famous? Please. Man. I had, two, I had two slices the other day. Come on. I just I mean, had me, one. This has got me on a pizza kick now. New, New York pizza is like, uh so good. And, and I love, by the way, when we're in the radio station that that uh, Senior Love Daddy pushes Mookie to make a dedication, which he does to Tina. We are listening to some salsa music. We're with these uh, the Puerto Rican guys who are sitting on a stoop, and then we hear Fight the Pow. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: Let me ask you this question. I, I, I don't want to ask, I'm not going to ask what you think of Radio Rahim yet. I'm going to hold that question for a bit. How do you feel about loud music coming into your space? As an old man,
1: I don't like it. As a young guy, I, I didn't mind it because it's part of the game because I could always turn my music up loud, it was, <laughs> it was to turn my music up loud, you know? And I used to be one of those guys who would ride around with my music loud. And sometimes it was public enemy. No lie. Sure. In my little Hyundai Excel trying to show everybody how cool I was. Uh, those are those days back when you're young, that's what you do. So to me, that's what I loved about this character is I was like, Oh, this is, I know this guy. I, 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 you know, growing up in the 1980s, you see people who walked around with those boom boxes, on their shoulders, came were breakdancing, walking to the basketball court with the boom boxes, all that nice. So that was something that I definitely related to and knew. Uh, and this battle is so great and something that has happened and I've seen happen before it, where I grew up as well.
3: I'm with you, John. I remember being in my turbo diesel Mercedes Benz and turning nice. up my tape deck all the way up. And my dad's saying, son, you can't have the music so loud. I was like, you don't understand me. And now <laughs> someone drives through my community with their music up. I'm outside with a baseball bat like, who is this? Get off my lawn. I, You know, it's funny how those tables turn. You're, you're right. You guys are right. You know, you, you hear the music now and you're like, Ugh, get out of my space. But I was that guy. So, well, I think, yeah, yeah, when you hear the music automatically, you're like, oh, he's one of them. Hooligan.
1: <laughs> right and this is what's so fascinating about watching the movie now and we'll get into it more so obviously as things get more heated but i look at it completely different than i did when i saw it in 1989 i still appreciate how i saw it in 1989 but i have a lot more sympathy for other people that i didn't have sympathy for when i watched the movie as a young man so i found that to be an interesting experience this time around and yes that situation
0: you you're almost like sal with the baseball bat turn yep. off your fucking building I, I I'm pretty much the same. I, I don't think I was, I was never aggressively blasting my music. I liked loud music sometimes. Yeah. But, but like when you come and if you're passing by, like if the car drives by with a loud music, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Right. But if you come into a place where I can't get away and I'm yeah. just for, I, I have sensitive ears, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that. Um, but as you say, John, what we're going to get is a battle between the yeah. salsa music and fight the power and I love the way it goes because Radio Raheem wins, and yeah. they they give it to him. You yeah. know, respect.
1: Yeah, That's out of respect, but they still cha- they still kind of walk down the block yeah. to retain their manhood, yelling stuff at him as Latinos do, and I say that from my own experience. But in the end. They had to give him pass, man, because his radio is just better. Yeah, and this, you know, and I, you, I hated that. I, I used to have a terrible Emerson boombox that I walked <laughs> around with, and then you see people with Sony, Panasonic boomboxes, and they would blow you out of the water. You would have to turn your shit down. I know that moment, so it was so great to see it in in the film.
3: And um, the battle was really cool too, because you almost get a sense of how their language towards each other, as violent as vitriolic as it could be, as it is. Yeah, it's almost like. Yeah, nothing comes to blows per se, you know, but it's just like, it's just, it's just how it is. We curse each other out and we, you know, throughout the whole movie, people are cursing each other out without any recourse, physical recourse. I mean, until the end, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's just this weird, like, oh, this is the language of the block.
1: Yeah. Of the block. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because both the Latinos or Puerto Ricans and black people are trying to get their voices heard trying to get their space, trying to claim their territory when there's so little territory that white people are, are give them, there's this tear. So they got to be loud about it and defend it strongly, you know, just like West side story in, in a way, defending your territory, defending your yeah. block. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that's a great point. It's like, when you don't have that much, then this, this spot becomes real important. Oh yeah. Um, uh, Mookie and Vito are talking some baseball, and then they run into Bugging Out.
2: You the man? Are no, you the man? No, you the man. Are no, you, no, you the man?
0: And again, I love everything Giancarlo <laughs> says and the way he says it. Uh No, I'm a struggling black man trying to keep my dick hard in a cruel and harsh world. Please don't cut that out. Please leave that out. You want me saying yeah, that yeah, I you to... <laughs> uh, I, Listen, if you say, you're, you know, <laughs> I guess... <laughs> You know I wanted to avoid that, right? Yo, hey, what's up the white boy? Mm. And it's, Mookie's now in the position of defending Vito. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I didn't understand the, like, there are parts of the movie that I had to grow into understanding. Mm. And one of them, you know, because we have, we've heard here multiple times bugging out, say to Mookie, stay black. Yeah. And mm. here he is siding with the son of Sal's, you know? Mm-hmm in front of bugging out
3: let me ask you guys a quick question did you watch this movie with black people or with white people or or latinos
1: me the first time i saw it was yeah it was my best friend Maurice. you know Maurice, uh, yeah he's black so yeah we uh, yeah that's who i saw it with the first time
3: and and did you feel as though you were like representing like did you did you connect with him on the black perspective or the italian perspective or was it just objective as a filmmaker as a, as a film watcher
1: yeah objective as a film watch because i'm not represented in the film because the latinos they're a puerto rican they're not south yeah. american so for me i'm seeing a version of the latino experience but i'm not really because he doesn't make the latinos a big part of the movie right so yeah. it's very much black white what you're seeing in the movie so for me it was objective and then the conversations with maurice in the car afterwards and by the way we've spoken about this movie over the years multiple times and the stuff that goes on and every once in a while each one of us will watch it or whatever and then text the other person and talk about it so and i've spoken over with other people and i think with you a couple of times we've had conversations yeah. andre about the movie so yeah i've always spoken uh, to people who are represented in the movie in a way and had conversations about
0: it for sure what about you uh, so i saw it in a crowded theater in berkeley mm. and so i my i think it was a pretty mixed group um but i i couldn't tell you you know 30 33 yeah. years later who yeah. was in the movie theater i never associated Like I never was like associating with Sal and the Italians or I was, it was much more the objective because that's what the movie is to me is it's looking at all these things from all these different perspectives and that's the way my brain works anyway. But then later on, uh, particularly when I was working on this play, I did watch it with a bunch of African-Americans and did have those same, same conversations I'm sure John that you had about how they saw what they saw, you know? And then after Mookie and Vito head away, a guy dressed in a Larry, with a Larry Bird shirt yeah. and a bicycle <laughs> goes by bugging out and rolls right over his brand new Jordans.
2: Ooh.
0: Yo! And runs up to John Savage.
2: Yo! Uh,
0: it's a fantastic scene.
2: You almost knocked me down, man. The word is excuse me. Ah, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Not only did you knock, knock me you down, you took my brand
3: new knock white Air Jordans that mm. I just bought, and that's all you can say is excuse
0: me. What's so odd about the scene is it's. I find it really funny on one level, and then there's also things about it that's like, wow, how, what, what, how am I supposed to feel about this? One thing I did find out is apparently John Savage for years told people that that jersey was given to him by Larry Bird, mm-hmm. and that is a total lie. <laughs> spike, it was part of the wardrobe spike got it yeah. for him. <laughs> he lied for like decades that's right. hilarious
1: that is hilarious but what, what do you think he picked john savage what do you think there was here with him and john,
0: was there a connection to was there anything you read or listened to where he said why he cast john savage i didn't him? see anything no i, I mean yeah I, I, interesting I think, choice why why do you think it's an interesting choice well because he's not a really well-known person but he did have right. he was in what was he
1: in was we in deliverance or deer hunter which one was he in he was in one of those wasn't he he's not in deliverance okay maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong here but i i just thought he was like a 70s actor yeah he's in the deer hunter right he's in the mm. Yeah,
3: I, I thought it was deer hunter
1: yeah, so I wonder if that's a, a, a bit of an homage, maybe to him, or maybe mm. he wanted to, and still working John Savage, by the yeah. way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was such an unusual choice to pick him because he only has one scene, and it's yep. that scene. So I wonder what was the motivation uh, behind that. So it
3: yeah. exposed my bias because when the, you know you, you step on a black person's shoes, Jordans no less, and you know when, where I grew up, that's that's a fight for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. So then you have this one white guy standing his ground in a Larry Bird jersey amongst <laughs> yeah. black people yeah. after he stepped on his shoes or rode over his shoes. And they're telling him, you got to mess this guy up. Hey, yeah. you can't let that. Don't get punked. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. And I watched this movie with one of the whitest people <laughs> in the world, uh, Callie Smith. And um, so it was... Uh, it was scary. I was nervous at the time.
0: <laughs> so, do you think? So, are you nervous that it, that Bugging Out's going to kick his ass? Are you nervous? Like, what are you nervous about?
3: I was nervous they were going to stomp him into the ground. That he was going to be a little green spot on the sidewalk.
0: Yeah, it's such a, the, the scene gets more interesting the more more I watch it, because a again, I love listening to Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. I think he's awesome. Uh The language is great, but it's also interesting how the the, the guys behind him are pushing him. Yeah, it's yes. and, and it's bugging out ever get physical with anybody. Nope, not even at the nope. end. Not Has he in the, the past? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think he's a wuss and yep. he's a loudmouth
1: and yep. he that's why the people surrounding him, which is I call the active Greek chorus in this whole entire uh, movie, they're the ones. And look, if you grew up at this time and maybe still generations now, the generations now. But like those moments happen where someone's like, "Don't he says shit about your mama. He says, yeah, <laughs> they are, they're always and they're the ones who grow up and loving reality TV because they love to watch the instigation because they're not going to get involved. But nope. they have no problem instigating you to get involved and you to uh, have the repercussions and the consequences. So they're gonna. So it's up to you whether you want to listen to them or not. And the fact that bugging out immediately, and I've seen people do this when they puff up their chest, immediately start using excuses for not getting into the fight. Yeah. That means they're wusses. And and certainly bugging out. You you lucky have a righteous black man. You lucky I, the righteous black man has forgiveness in heart. That all of it is just to cover the fact that he doesn't have to actually have the balls to physically attack anybody for staining his or for uh you know scuffing up his his jordans he just wants to yell um he's like a little dog yelping all the time but <laughs> actually get thrown around
0: by the bigger dogs you know i i also i think john savage plays this scene oh my god because there's so much about what he does that's interesting like the first thing is he does when he gets called on it he gives an excuse me but it's not a really good one yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> it's just kind of like oh excuse me and then you can see... And he doesn't back down. No, he doesn't. Um, At all. He, he doesn't get aggressive back. Uh-uh. And then you see the moments where his eyes start to kind of flit around and go, what's about to happen here? Right, right. You know? And and I love, too, you know, that he, as it escalates, that he owns the brownstone.
2: Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block, in my neighborhood, on my side of the street?
1: Well, as Andre said, this is where the script really shines, the back and forth here, right? Because... You're right about this, Steve, pointing out the fact that John Savage is not intimidated until he realizes, okay, there's a growing crowd here. What's going to happen? But then he still picks up his bike and just calmly walk in and run up the stairs. Nope. he walks up the stairs i love the first time bugging out confronts him he wipes his head and has a smirk on his face like what's the big deal like what are you complaining about like yeah. there are worse things in the world than the scuffing of your jordans but sure let's talk about that and so i like that he's got this air and he's not you're right he's not intimidated he's not scared until he sees everything and then he kind of walks up there and then he has the back and forth look there are plenty of white people in in new york who who stand their ground i got no problem they grew up there their right. generations there they feel their bones they're not intimidated by anybody And I love that they showed that here. Uh, And Spike instigating us by putting him in a Celtics shirt. It's just (laughs) nothing's more whiter than Larry Bird
0: in the Celtics. It's just perfect. Agreed. And then they go, why don't you move back to Massachusetts? And this moment is so great. I was born in Brooklyn. (laughs)
3: Yeah,
0: It's so theatrical. And this is one of the things I love about Spike Lee is that he's not afraid to make a moment be unrealistic in the way that it's staged like a, like a musical moment, like a, you know, it's a staging moment. I love it. And this is the thing I was thinking about. One of the themes of this movie is property versus people Mm. is that we have the the Italian guy with the convertible that gets hit with the water. We have this scene, which is the value of my Jordans and whether or not that's worth violence. And then we're going to end up with Sal's. Yeah. And the building versus radio Rahim. Mm. Speaking of Sal's, Vito and Mookie get back really quickly, (laughs) strangely (laughs) enough. I should
2: send Vito with you all the time. (laughs) Yeah, no more 90-minute deliveries around the corner. Pino, I work hard like everybody else in here, all right? You know that's
0: true, Pino. I don't think that's true. Yeah, I don't think that's true at all either. I mean, I think Pino hates the fucking place, but I think Pino works harder than Mookie. Uh, Sure, barely, but okay. I have no evidence of this. <laughs> Maybe it's pure racism on my part. No,
3: it's <laughs> racist. Wow. <laughs> wow.
1: Finally comes out. <sighs> in between the cleaning, in between, sorry, in between the pizza, he's complaining about the neighborhood all the time. Yes. It must be hours upon hours of complaining rather than working. So, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of work to be done, to be honest with you, in a pizzeria place like that. Because it seems like Sal's the one doing a lot of the cooking and the making of the pizza and whatever. I don't think Pino and Vito. I mean, I, I don't think... I think Vito barely does anything in the whole movie <laughs> it's working at the
3: actual place. So yeah. you Proud. know, I also like the, uh, the blue collar aspect of a pizza delivery guy on foot. You know, anytime you think of a pizza delivery guy, yeah. you think of a guy in his car rushing around, but he's walking it around the corner. It is kind of funny, isn't it? How he's just so, and he take 90 minutes. Yeah. Around the corner.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. That yeah. show his laziness.
0: And now Pino is on Vito
3: what's going on between you two you guys a boyfriend and girlfriend or something Some what did we just
0: girlfriend? talk about what now we see sort of what mookie was talking about before just
3: remember
0: who you are right your name is vito from josh
1: and vito mohammed hmm. Hmm. torturo is is um an unrecognized um brilliant part of this movie to be honest oh yeah yeah right i mean because he's such a goddamn good actor and him delivering this line i would love for you to stay out of my business he did it in a soft way that was like, if I go any further, I'm, I'm gonna throw hands. If I go any louder, I'm gonna throw hands. And so the fact that he delivered it that way shows this growing anger or or trying
0: to be tough uh, with Mookie. And I love that. Such a brilliant character acting decision in that moment. I, I I couldn't agree more. And it's not a you know this is not necessarily a fun part to play. No, right, exactly. And and I know that it, it what I what it sounds like is particularly right after this movie came out. John Turturro riding on the subway in New York got some uh, uh, flack, you know, because people saw him as this character. Yeah, and then I think what what Spike says is that is that later on that people embraced him, you know, Mm -hmm. because he was part of this film.
2: Don't fuck me, all right?
0: And Pino heads back to the register and says, I "I
3: hate this place." With true disdain. Yeah.
0: I think this next sequence is so perfectly filmic. Which is we see the cops in their car in slow motion, rolling through the neighborhood, looking at the guys on the corner. Spike said he wanted it to feel like a military occupation. Mm. I think that is exactly what it is. And they stare back that the jazz piano playing is really powerful and as they drive, they look so far back behind their shoulders at these guys. <laughs> I worry they're going to hit something. <laughs> and the last thing the cops say is, What a waste. What a waste. I, and, I, and I
1: like that he uses the old jazz cue here because this is generational. Like the music he uses reflects how far back this kind of disdain from the black community, from the police to the black community and vice versa has been around and the fact that he uses the Latino guy, Miguel Sandoval, to say what a waste is interesting as well. Hmm. You know, And I find that all to be a fascinating dynamic uh, in that scene and slow motion is just
0: this is brilliant to use it this way. And, and what's so great about it is like I go, what are these guys sitting on this corner? You know, like
3: Mm
0: -hmm. I understand why the cops say what a waste, and I understand why the guys on the corner say what a waste, and that is that is the genius of this film. Mm -hmm. And the next moment is it's like this, it's sort of the same thing, which is
2: look at those Korean motherfuckers across the street.
0: I bet you they haven't been off the boat a year before they open up their own place. That's right, man. It's been about a year. You you turn so quickly in this movie, yeah. And and the next line is great. Either them Korean motherfuckers are geniuses, or you black asses are just plain dumb. How, how do you feel about this scene, <laughs> uh, Andre? <laughs> I defer to Andre on this one.
3: You know, I think it's really funny that you know the Korean. Uh, they say that the Koreans have come in and occupied this boarded-up building, uh, alluding to the fact that they'd rather have a boarded-up than have yeah. them in here. Oh, but- boy, yeah. But the, the Italians, uh, are, they have the pizza shop and, and the Blacks are there. It's almost like the Koreans are seen as the other other, like the the, right, yeah. the, the sub-sub-species. And, and, uh, but they say it's successful. So they, it's like this weird acknowledgement of, you know, the preceding scene, we talk about what a waste, right? And, and he's juxtaposing, the, you know, people just sitting out in the, in the corner doing nothing versus fresh off the boat, one year successful business, and I think that's a social commentary by Spike as well. Maybe I, I you know, as a writer and as a black man, I think he say, "Hey, look what some cultures are doing, and look what we do stereotypically." So I, I, I see the commentary in that. I found it interesting, but I also recognize that dang, it's so true. There, there are some some cultures who they come to the country. See, I wasn't born here either, so I think. When you come to the United States, you're not coming for a vacation. You ha- you had to make it work, and I, and he's showing the 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 grit versus uh, the entitlement and lazy attitude. So I thought that it was it was an honest depiction of uh, what it could be. Uh,
1: this again, this is one of the great things about this movie. It pulls no punches in showing you the incongruent parts of people's personalities right because i yeah. mean ml initially is going after the korean grocers and look we saw this in gangs in new york and anyone who studies uh, the history of immigrants to this country knows that the first immigrant uh, group hates the next immigrant group and and vice yeah. versa down the that's just how it works because again it's about them coming in taking their piece that they fought for supposedly and they've uh, gotten and now you're coming in to take it and so it's so funny how you could hear the same things you've heard from white people say when the first immigrant people showed up, mm-hmm. you know, it just repeats the pattern over and over again. So the hatred just kind of goes downward to the next race. And so ML here is coming after the Koreans for what being able to come over, get this stuff, work hard, get a place and put it in this neighborhood and you see it also it's jealousy. It's jealousy. Yeah. And so instead of ML looking at himself and I think ML has, some sort of, uh, uh, I don't think he's born in this country either. He has a weird kind of accent, so I don't know if it's Bahamian or whatever it is, but he has a little bit of an accent on the on the edges there. He turns back and looks at Robin Harris and the, his other uh, black friend there and says, you black people are some lazy but So in a way, he's separating himself, yes. and I find that to be so interesting in this moment. He is indicting other black people that he sees as lesser than him even though he's sitting on the same corner with these (laughs) i just find this it's incredible again the incongruent i uh uh, aspects of a person's personality that you're like well you're hanging out with these motherfuckers who are you to judge these motherfuckers you're in the same boat you know and so i don't mean that literally obviously i just mean like you know sitting on the corner so i I find that, but people have to hate something else that's successful because it reflects their unsuccessfulness back to them. So they have to
0: vilify it instead of going, well, what can I do to achieve that? Well, and I I think about Spike saying, uh, Spike, not Mookie, Mm -hmm. saying that he thinks that Sal shouldn't have to put brothers on the wall and that. Uh, African-Americans have to get their own businesses to do that. And I also think about the movie Malcolm X, which obviously we're going to talk about soon, but that is very strong that the black Muslims have to own their own business, control their own world. That is a very strong message. And I I don't know if that's in Spike Lee's head at this moment, but like there's definitely something there. It's got to be because we are black. Hmm. And... It's like, no, there are other explanations. That might, be, that might very well be one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. But Spike is happy to point out that maybe that's not the whole reason. I think, and, and Andre, please uh, obviously speak this a little more uh, personally, but
1: like, certainly the system is geared to make it more difficult for people of color to achieve anything in this country. So that is an element of it. Yeah. But it's not always necessarily the only element. And if you keep relying on that, you'll never achieve anything. You'll never achieve anything if you just keep saying it's because I'm black or Latino or Korean or or, sorry, or Asian or anything else or a woman or anything else. Then you'll never achieve it. You have to fight the system in order to achieve
3: anything, unfortunately. It's funny. I, I've never uh, – I shouldn't say never. I rarely think about how difficult the system is for me because I'm black. I, mm. It truly really doesn't cross my mind. I'm so focused on the end result and the process that I don't think about who can stop me. And I usually see people, I see people who are less fortunate than I from all walks of life. But I think that, you know, when when I do become aware of that uh, possibility, like, oh, you know what, this could be harder for me. I then think about people like Spike, who huh. have created something out of nothing and become this mogul. And and when you look at how he, you know, puts these characters in the film, I think in some ways, Mookie to the rest of those guys, because he's the only one that has a job, right? He's the only yeah. black guy who has a job. It's funny that he is like the one who's kind of made it. He's one getting paid. Yet his job is so, you know, he's not even like really trying that hard. And and he doesn't own the store. So I don't know. I, I think that that's a really interesting thing that when you when you look at how we talked about an Italian being in this black neighborhood, then a black guy going into the Italian store saying, put black people on the wall. Uh-huh. And he's like, "Now get your own damn wall. <laughs> um, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll tell you very quick digression, but but uh, my son is adopted. It was an open adoption, which means we knew the birth mother uh-huh. and. Knowing her is made me both way more liberal and compassionate and way more conservative because she had a lot of issues and things were real, real difficult for her. She had a record. She didn't have a credit rating. She didn't have a credit card. She didn't have a bank account and just getting through life was so hard and we would help her out to, to you know, because she had our child in her belly part of it. <laughs> But then I also watched her repeatedly make terrible, terrible, terrible decisions. Like just when she would start to get ahead, she would do something that's like, oh, no, then just blow all of her money and be back where she started. And that's what I mean. is like the system was totally stacked against her in all sorts of ways that are real, that are fucked up. Yeah. And she's making choices that weren't helping the situation.
3: And that's where my dad came in and he said, if you make a choice like this. You are. You said you're already going to be looked. You already looked at a certain way. Yeah. So you cannot afford to make choices like this. Now, what that is, not a lot of people have someone to tell them don't make these choices.
1: Right. right. Yeah. And that, and that's what I was going to say, Andre. That's a great point you bring up. Is like, okay, you look at this. Oh yeah, made terrible decisions because they have no other way to operate yeah. other than this is what I know. And look – I mean you you see all those people who are poor or from lower-income families who win the lottery and then like five years later, they're back in poverty and they go through millions uh, of the dollars or 10 years later, they're back in poverty because they have no um, way to operate in a world where they – that functions with them uh, understanding how to learn the value of money and operate within that and, and, and the restrictions they weren't taught. So it, it's not, it's not inherent in them yeah. to figure it out. And the other aspect is uh, when you have low self-esteem, you don't think you deserve that money or deserve the good stuff. So that you, so you do stuff to self-sabotage yourself. And that's a real thing. And too many people don't want to
0: factor that into an equation. And it, well, I always think that's a detriment. Well, and if, if the system has repeatedly fucked you, yeah, right. then fuck the system. Like what, why should I participate in this thing that's going to continue to keep me down? You know, yeah. um, and, and but sweet dick Willie is done with this. He's done with <laughs> them.
2: I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. You ain't gonna do a goddamn thing. You me? But sit y'all muck ass on this corner. but I tell you
0: what I'm gonna do, you mean? I'm gonna go over there and get the Koreans some more of my
2: money. The fuck out of my way. God damn it's military, motherfucker.
0: And at this moment I'm going, oh wow, I I'm kinda liking Sweet Dick Willie. I like, you know. And then he walks right up to the Korean grocer and says, Hey,
3: Kung Fu, come on, give me one of them damn beers, damn it.
0: <laughs> and then he's just so rude to the guy. And what's interesting is that the the Korean grocer says no more free beer. Right. right. I think has has slick Dick Willie been getting free beer? Oh like yeah. Robbing these the store? I, 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 well, I don't know about robbing the store. Maybe I don't know. I didn't even think about well, it. Well, when I say robbing, I mean stealing beer. Oh
1: right. Yeah yeah yeah. Or was he? Or were they giving him free beer to kind of like as a just kind of ingratiate themselves with the community? That's Would what I know? think.
3: yeah. Mm. I think it's like, uh, you go tell your friends that this place is great and here's some free beer. But I think he's made a a habit out of it. And they're at the end of the road. Hey, doctor, what's your name? Eddie. How old are you? Ten. Question. What makes Sammy
0: run?
2: I said my name is Eddie.
0: Doctor. And it ends up that he wants him to go to the store and buy some beer for him. And he's going to pay him 50 cents. (laughs) And then up comes our group of young friends and i love that they're super brightly colored outfits talking to the mayor who's in that you know white i think it's seersucker suit yeah and then they start to go after the mayor or really ahmed steve white goes after the mayor
2: hey, man you're a bum man you're an old drunk zero man <laughs> now what do you got to say for yourself
1: how do you feel about this at this moment well i got real angry watching this scene this time around myself personally um because yeah you look when you're a young man you don't fucking know what the world's going to give you as you get older and when you get older you really do feel sympathy for people who have fought and struggled and were successful for a time but then things happened and they ended up where they ended up and the way they're it's that's what young people do young people think oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that look at you 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 sad old man you, you look sitting on the stoop And those same old, those same young people discover what really happens in life. And they're the same ones sitting on that stoop 20 or 30 years later, you know? And so to me in this moment, seeing the back and forth with them, it's such arrogance of these kids who don't even have jobs as Mookie points out numerous times in the movie, judging uh, a, a guy and instead of understanding him or having sympathy for him as an elder of the community, they wanna um chastise him. And these are the same people that are trying to instigate bugging out into a fight. Yeah. So they they're, they're mm-hmm. terrible to me. They're terrible young, aimless idiots. And they have they all they want to do is fart around all day, instigate people, have fun, come to Sal's after it's closed. You know, they want everything to they want everything the way they want it, uh, and they don't want to have to work for it or pay any price for it. And so when I see them going after someone who has lived a life and has had Kids and a wife and a job and everything like that—it fru- it frustrates the piss
0: out of me to watch this scene for sure. The camera pushes in on Ozzy Davis, and by the way, he wrote this monologue. Oh wow, no surprise, oh. no surprise. Unless you done stood in the door, listen to your five hungry children crying for breath.
3: and you can't do a damn thing about it. Your woman standing there, you you can't even look her in the eye. Unless you done done that, you don't know me, my pain, my hurt, my feelings. You don't know
0: shit. I am so with him and moved by this performance in this moment. I think it's so powerful. And what my expectation is as an audience member is that they will hear that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the movie goes in a completely different direction.
3: I don't want to know your pain. I
2: don't care to know your pain. You don't want to put yourself in this situation, man.
0: And what I wonder is why? Because he loses control. It's not just he goes off.
3: But what he says when he goes off, which I also think is interesting, mm. there is some truth to it. Uh, I agree. I wouldn't stand in the doorway and listen to my five children go hungry. I'd be out getting a job, doing something, anything to put food in their mouth. Now, John, to your point, yeah. I was I was hurting when I was watching them going after me. It really got me. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you know Steve, you have kids. I, I have three kids. I've been in the place where I can't find enough money to go buy a bag of food from the supermarket. Wow. And I've been, I've struggled, yeah. but I had to figure it out. So the choice to figure it out or the choice to lay down and and and, and turn to the bottle is a choice that I had to d- decide. And, I, and I, I love that Spike says it, hey, you should have done something different. But I hate, and this is why Spike is great, that he has this guy attack someone who, everyone has their own process in life, and sometimes the problems that we deal with, as in, you know, this character here, sometimes are too much in a moment. Sometimes it's just, you, you know, the camel, the straw breaks the camel's back, and, and, and maybe you have to turn to the bottle. So I think he's saying all this because that's his father or, or his grandfather, and I oh, think yeah, that maybe, bird
0: is manifesting that's what I think, yeah. that. I think the, the way that Ahmed goes off on Demer is personal. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think his dad's around. That's cool. yeah. I, well, that's fair. I, yeah. I, I think there's something real, real strong happening here. And, and the thing, too, I think about is where did we begin? We began with the cops looking at the corner men saying, what a waste. Mm-hmm. And then we have the corner men bitching about why they don't own the Korean grocery store or a store like it. And all they do is, as far as we know, all they do is they sit on this corner. And what does Ahmed and his friends do all day? All <laughs> they do is sit. Yeah, and then they're yelling at this guy who didn't who because according to them he didn't get off his ass and work to feed his kids. And I think there's just a lot here. Yeah, and and, and this is what I wrote down. I wrote Spike is judgmental of everyone. Yeah. Spike yes, Spike. Lo- and Spike loves everyone. Yeah, yeah, he He's loves every of one of these characters. Yeah, you're right, Steve. Mookie in the in Sal's is now talking on the phone with Tina. <sighs> what do you want me to do, huh? With your hmm. And finally, they're trying to get him to get off the phone.
2: Oh, Does anybody want to call in, Mookie. To
0: and he hangs up, says, everybody happy? And the phone immediately rings because people are trying to make orders. <laughs> and Pino's saying, Mookie's making us lose business. And he takes the order. And then after taking the order, he says, how come? And he uses the N word are so stupid. Mm. And then this next part of the scene... Is amazing. Mm. This is where. So I we've all been kind of critical of Mookie. I think this moment Mookie is heroic mm. in what he, what he does and how he handles this next thing. What?
2: Tina, who's your favorite basketball player? Magic Johnson. Who's your favorite movie star? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite
0: rock star? Prince. You're a Prince. Bruce Bruce Prince Bruce. And Mookie says, and again, I'm not going to say these words, but he says, Pino, all you ever talk about is nigger this and nigger that. And all your favorite people are so-called niggas. The fact that Pino tries to defend this, and, 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 and I mean, it's so bizarre. It's different. Magic, Eddie, Prince are not niggas. I mean, they're not black. I mean. Mm. Andre, you're uh, having a strong reaction to this. Yes, please. This is John will
3: tell you. <laughs> I was the, the black guy. Who was regarded as not really black. But you're not, you're not really black, though, Andre. You're not like them. You're the exception. You're different. You kind of transcend that those lines. We don't see you that way. You're
1: one of the good ones.
3: You're one of the oh. good ones. Oh yeah. You're so well spoken. Um it's crazy how super accurate, how spike nails how racist, prejudiced people exclude the ones that they appreciate. Mm-hmm. but just lump in the rest for no good reason other than like, oh, I like their talent, but because I appreciate their talent, they will no longer uh, in the generalization of the other uh, people who I don't know, but yet uh, degrade. And that's been my life story. I've been with white people. who are like, yeah, hey, you're getting some inside info right now who will go in on black people. Tell me things that I should not even know about, about, uh, uh, about racist people and uh, what they think about blacks and they're like but you're you're in you're one of the club and that's this that's th- this scene is that and it, but I, I love that spike has it in a real he frames it in a real exchange mm-hmm. it's not uh, a, a fight there's not you know we've heard a lot of yelling and back and forth that ah, you're
0: actually talking yeah th- that's what's um, what's amazing to me about what mookie's trying to do here is that he's he's actually trying to make pino understand a thing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Spike says that he thinks that white people—the big thing is that white people secretly want to be black people. Yes. You know, deep down inside, think you wish you were black. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! Laugh if you want to. You know, your hair is kinking in mine. And one of the things he references is. <laughs> he makes two this is from later on after he made the film but two zemeckis robert zemeckis references the first is michael j fox teaching chuck berry how to do rock and roll yeah and the second is forrest gump and elvis is that is that it's it's taking you know black culture and imposing a white vision on it and then erasing the black influence that created the thing you know Well, a lot of people talk about that nowadays happening
1: all over again on social media with TikTok and with Instagram because these uh, white influencers, young, usually female, young female influencers, they come in and they steal dances that black uh, TikTok people, black social media people have created with way less following, have created, and then they co-opt that, which is a sense of colonization, and they do the dances and that makes it that, that makes the dance famous, and they recoup the money from sponsors yep. or whatever, and they give no credit to the black creators on TikTok and on the other uh, platforms of social media for creating those dances. Uh, and so, finally, there was such an uproar about this of last year's TikTok. Finally, said if you take a dance and you don't give credit, they will suspend your account or put a strike on your account or whatever. So finally people are rebelling. But see, this is the thing, and this is the thing that's so frustrating to me. The racism nowadays has become so casual, so somewhat accepted, and then you go, well, I made made you famous with your dance. There is such a, a desire to become famous at the expense of anybody else, and no matter what the color is or whatever, that you see these moments happen and this, back in nineteen eighty nine, is a version of that. What he's taught, what what they're what they're going through here in this scene, and so you see it all the time. The co opting, and what Spikes was inspired by, as he says, he inspired by the co opting of black culture by white culture all the fucking time. And yeah, absolutely, this idea that I think a majority of white people, the reason they hate black people is because they want to be black. They they they're they're jealous of their look. They're jealous of the strength. The jealous of the. Um, the, you know, the, uh, the stereotypes about their sexual prowess, arms, they're jealous of any the, the, their physical abilities as sports. They're jealous of all that shit because they can't do that shit. And so it becomes a thing that uh, permeates the white culture uh, for some white people. Obviously, I'm not saying all, but for some white people, it permeates them and causes these kinds of moments. And the back and forth here is so brilliant because there are so many white people nowadays who still say the same thing. If you, I know that there are GOP black people that they walk up to and they go, "You're one of the good ones. You're one of the. You get it, uh, Rick Scott or whatever Larry Scott, whatever his name is. You get it. You're one of us." And it's just like, "Oh my God," or Candace. so I'm sure they walk up to Candace. so it's like,
0: "You're one of the good ones. You get it." You know, so it's such a bizarre position to separate out a small group out of a race and say <laughs> you're not that race in order to defend your own racism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is. It's such a it's such a weird psychological thing but i think it's a hundred percent i think spike nails it yeah um and then pino comes back talking about al sharpton and then on jesse jackson keep hope alive that's fucked
2: up keep
0: hope alive hey that's
2: fucked don't talk about jesse
0: and then he goes into farrakhan and farrakhan talking about the so-called day when the black man will rise, we will one day,
2: what does he say? We will one day rule the earth as we did in, in our glorious past. That's right. What past you talking
0: about? I mean, what, what did I miss? We started civilization. Which, you know, Egypt yeah. is uh, way back there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But of course,
1: he's so, you know, so ignorant, he doesn't know anything about this stuff. And a lot of people who feel these racist tendencies don't do any research to discover the,
0: diff- the what the actual truth is, you know? And we end with... Pino, fuck you, fuck your fucking pizza, and fuck Frank Sinatra.
2: Yeah, well, fuck you too, and fuck Michael Jackson.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then we go into a sequence, and I think it is the bravest sequence in the movie. It is the most, like, theatrical, and it is the camera pushes in on one person after another, as they spew what i will say are beautiful a beautifully written diatribe of racial epithets <laughs> you know um and here here's the thing and i don't know if i should play it or not play it i don't know you know how how to approach that for this podcast yeah. but i'll say one thing that's inter- i found really interesting and In hearing the filmmakers talk about this including spike lee including ernest dickerson they described this sequence as fun and funny what do you think, Andre? You want to take this one first? <laughs> uh, this sequence
3: pushed it, yes, right in your face, hard angle. Like you can't, you can't escape. Mm. I, I laughed. I'm not gonna lie. I, I did laugh because I laughed at how far Spike went. Like I'm yeah. like, there, there's no punches being pulled. And he's saying all the things that people say, the racist people say in secret. Yeah, he just shed a light on it all, and and I was also laughing because it's stuff that we've heard. And I, I know we live in a much more politically correct world, but there's a lot that we we've heard in in whether it be in school or you know just you know you hear people joking around, and I'm like wow, in the, in. The, Late eighties, he just said he just said it. Yeah. So I I did find it. I saw that they were having fun with it. I, I I you know now you're saying that they thought it was fun and funny. I could see that and I felt that, but I also felt like wow. I wonder if he's also uh, alluding to the fact that they're just words. Hmm. You know, well, he, he's listing all these words off, that they are just words in the end.
0: I, I think that's a great point because I think that on some because the other thing he's saying is we're all the same mm-hmm. yeah he's saying we're all racist we all have these feelings we're all it 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 actually is showing how similar these people are in a weird way it's yeah. funny i I am certain I thought it was funny in 1989 mm. and watching it today it, it, you know I mean I just put it the way I can only put it honestly is that. I grew up in a world where I heard, you heard racist jokes. Mm -hmm. Like that was part of the jokes, you know? And that's not cool anymore. You know, that's not a, just like there were, there were fat jokes and there were, Mm. I was thinking, I heard a whole podcast that was about Helen Keller yesterday and I suddenly flashed on all the Helen Keller jokes I knew. right? You know, and like, that's not, that's not cool um, anymore. And it's a good thing that it's not cool anymore. So I wonder how people would feel about this sequence watching it today a young person who had not seen it before
1: yeah i mean it was you know it's correct a little bit it was never cool but we accepted it more back yeah. then and, and whatever and you know and you see that i mean go back and watch those old dean martin celebrity roasts you're like yeah oh boy <laughs> <laughs> or don rickles yeah rickles i mean you're like Ooh, rickles died just before the tide turns and so in a way he got saved by from the backlash there but um, but I remember seeing this in the theater and I just remember my mouth going wide open because <laughs> no other director had the guts to put racism so blatantly out there in their movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and only I feel like only a black director and a young black director yeah. uh, was intelligent enough and understood the pop culture zeitgeist, how it was changing uh, to kind of focus on this. Uh, these ideas of racism and that uh, racism was becoming more and more overt in the way it was going about and also subversively, uh, it was subversive in the way it was being administered um, uh, in our society. And so watching all the different points of, view, and each one has someone they're racist against, each group. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a great point you bring up, Steve. He's pointing out everyone is racist. And of course, Avenue Q did a song about that It yeah. was a little bit racist. And certainly there are moments here um, when they're just dropping everything, that they're saying all this stuff. And of course, thank God for senior love daddy rolling up in, going, oh, no, whoa,
3: whoa, whoa,
1: you know, kind of calming every, everything down. So he's just saying that there is this undercurrent of racism in, in our entire society and that everyone has a piece in it. It isn't just white
0: people. Um, and and by the way, just on the craftsmanship thing, I love yeah. each one of these shots is we're pushing in. The people are talking straight to camera, yeah. push in, push in, push in. And then Senior love daddy is the opposite because yeah. he rolls forward into camera. Uh, it, it's just like that's planned out, brilliant craftsmanship.
2: Y'all take a chill. You need to cool that shit out. And that's the double truth,
0: Ruth. We're going to get a lot of truths, Ruth. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Sal, so, can you do me a favor? That depends, okay.
0: Can you pay me now?
2: I can't do that. All right, if I pay you now, I won't see
3: you tonight.
0: Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad Andre answered the question. <laughs> I'm going to go with the pattern I've seen in the film. And I would say, yes, I think there's a damn good chance that you don't see Mookie if you pay him. And I think Sal knows that. I think Sal's probably paid him in the past and he didn't come back. Right. Yeah. And I love that. He goes out of frame and then Mookie comes back in to ask one more time. Come
2: on, Sal.
0: We have a top-down shot of a kid drawing in chalk on the street and Mookie steps on the drawing and goes by. It's a classic, I'm sure it was in the trailer. It's such a classic image of the film. And we run into Radio Rahi. World. Oh. Where you headed I'm
2: going to get a slice. you going down the south?
0: And then Mookie notices the two gold words on his fists. And this is a really strange filmmaking thing that I don't think quite works, which is that Spike steps back. So the camera can move in and take over his POV. And it's it, it, it's so that it's the camera looking right at Radio Rahim as yep. if that's Mookie's character. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite work for me in terms really? of yeah. shit. This is one of my favorite scenes. No, 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 no. Let me let me be real clear. Okay. I love the scene. Oh okay. it spikes move out of the way of the camera. I feel oh, the, the actor cool. or the director doing a, a movement that is not natural in order to get us to the shot. That's okay. what I that's what I'm seeing. Okay. Um, This scene, I think this is one of the key, most important scenes in the entire film. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. And John, as you said, we see those gold things on his hand, and that's love and hate, which comes from Night of the Hunter with uh, Robert Mitchum. Uh, Hate. It was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. And then he holds up the love hand.
3: Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man the right hand the
2: hand
0: of love and then he tells this story
2: one hand is
0: always fighting the other hand and it's like he takes a boxing stance mm. and he starts throwing the left punch the hate hand
2: and the left hand is kicking much ass i mean it looks like the right hand love is finished but hold on stop the presses the right hand's coming back yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, it's a devastating right. And hey, this hurt. Down. Ooh. Ooh, left hand hate. K-O'd by love.
0: Let me ask, what do you think of this moment in the film before we get to what the next one? Uh, you know, first of all, I'm mesmerized by Spike Lee's
3: bravery as a director to take this, not only this uh, angle of, go right to camera and just go at it. Like yep. I, I would not think that I could get away with that. And yeah. he not only thought he could get away with it. It's not like he's done 10 movies and now doing and, and then trying this. He's saying, this is my style yep. <laughs> and this is what I'm going to, and I'm not going to apologize. So immediately he said, Hey world, this is me. If you don't like it, Two tears in a bucket got two words for it. <laughs> and and so on that from that sense artistically I was like wow this guy is bringing it, but two the actor Radio Rahim oh, he yeah. just he delivers here he's it's poetry he's telling he's he's painting right here and I was like man this is art this is this is art yeah I I love this scene because it makes us. Uh, gives
1: us a little more depth to Radio Rahim. So it makes us care about him even more. So when what's going to happen is going to happen, you can't forget this scene. You know, uh, even when he has that uh, incident where we're going to get to with the Korean grocer, when he gets a little racist, and even and then when he ha- goes into Sal's place and everything's happened with him, having this scene is such a smart way to give us a little bit of depth and complexity to Radio Rahim that we can. Kind of appreciate and like, like there's a charm here to the way he delivers this, which is, of course, ironic because he says love conquers hate, but then he falls prey to the hate later on in the movie. Hmm. So it's just interesting to see this once again. Spike showing you these moments with these characters, as you said, Steve uh, uh, Steven, and, and Andre, like there's a genius to what he's doing here that can be easily missed if you're not paying attention to it, really breaking it down and seeing what he's doing here because he takes these little moments to kind of give you more uh, background in these characters so that when stuff happens you have at least a little bit of an anchor of understanding about these characters so that you can be affected by it emotionally it's
0: just so genius i i, I think it's amazing too and i think part of it is that Radio Rahim up to this point has been like an iconic figure you know what yes. i mean he doesn't speak he is this person with this sound that moves through the neighborhood. And now we go from that to him talking straight at camera and he, and the depth and the meaning of what he's saying. And you suddenly go like, oh, this is a deep person. A yeah. strange person, maybe, but a really deep one. And he, here's, and, and, and what he says at the end, as we go back into a two-shot, is he says, If I love I love double, you know. But if I hate you... Here it love is. Love and hate. And there's a pause, and then Radio Rahim says, "I love you, brother." And mm. and him saying, "I love you" to Muki, that's powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. After this speech, it's re- and I think you're totally right, John. This is where you suddenly feel affection for this guy. Yeah. Um, but here's the other thing: I I I have been struggling. I don't think this is a movie that's easily sort of broken down in terms mm-hmm. of this is what it means. And I've been struggling with it, and 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 some things click for me since our last recording, and and it really starts with the uh, mayor saying, "Always do the right thing," and I keep going like, "Well, what is the right thing? How do we determine the right thing? How do we figure out the right thing?" And then I think about this speech, love and hate, and that love can win. And here's the big thing I thought, as I went, the problem is is that in Radio Rahim's story, he leads with hate, hates okay. the first punch. And that and that, even though love conquers all, in my experience, it's very hard to get back from hate. It's very hard to bring back love. And I also go, and so the first thing I go is like, maybe do the right thing is lead with love instead of lead with hate. Maybe that's do the right thing. But then the other thought I have is if you are in a community or if you as a person have constantly been pushed down and hurt by the society Mm -hmm. at large, it's hard to keep coming back with love every time and this. And then I went to Smiley's holding up Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and right. Martin Luther King is no matter what they do to you, you come back with love. And Malcolm X is, Hey man, someone does something to you. You have a right to defend yourself, you know? And I go, Oh, do always do the right thing. Love and hate Martin and Malcolm. That's where the movie's starting to come together in my mind. Man. I think, uh, you know, we talk about
3: civil rights and the 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 real difference between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X in that respect. And we talk about um, you know you said earlier, guys, if mm-hmm. if Buggin comes in and says, you know, I, I would really think it'd be awesome if we could see some of our people on the wall mm-hmm. from a sense of love. How that yeah, how exactly. this whole thing could have been different. Yeah, but instead he leads with hate. I think hate is the armor. Some put on when they've tried love and been stabbed in the front and the yeah. back and they have no other coping mechanism but other than to lead with hate. So the depth of character that Spike gives Radio Rahim, you do get a sense that he has had some sort of soft spot. Right there, he shows us he's capable yeah. of love, but that he's choosing to lead with hate and and that there's a sense of anger there. So I think that it it shows his depth, his complexity. And I think you're right, Steve, that sometimes you are so conditioned that love is not going to work, that your anger, the jaded sense of how life has put you into this position, it just, it permeates through everything you do. So maybe Spike has love and hate as Radio Raheem's reminder to himself. Mm. Maybe when he's starting to feel love, you know, he, you saw, he led with hate. So maybe it's time for me to leave with hate. So I know I'm getting kind of like philosophical, but I really think that nothing's by accident with Spike Lee. And I think that that could be part of it.
0: I 100% agree. Um, and now, of course, we're going to see this play out in action because Radio Raheem walks into South.
2: No service till you turn that shit
0: off. And again, just like he did with the racial slurs, we're like right at camera. Everything is in your face. And so Sal is yelling. And this is key is like normally in a mix uh, for sound, the thing you almost always put on top is dialogue. Everything else wants to be under the dialogue. And this is not mixed that way. <laughs> Sal is under fight the power. Fight the I
2: can't power. even hear myself. Steep.
0: And we've already seen Radio Rahim in these low angles with wide lenses, but now we're in a way low angle. The lens is a 10 millimeter, which is like a fisheye. And the the camera is really, really tilted, lots of ceiling in the background. It is a very invasive shot of him.
2: You are disturbing me. You are disturbing my customers.
0: And finally, Radio Rahim turns it off and says, Two slices. Two slices. It's, I think the juxtaposition of the last scene where we love Radio Raheem and this scene, again, it's what Spike's doing throughout this entire film.
2: You come into Sal's, there's no
0: music, no rap, no music, no music, no music. And Sal <laughs> is making the slice and we hear, Yo,
3: put some extra mozzarella on that motherfucker and shit.
0: that is spike's favorite adr line in the film (laughs) that was added later Uh, and it's a great line extra cheese is two dollars what i like about extra cheese is two dollars is it's like the scene has reset Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so he got him turn the music off and now he's like okay we're back to just doing business
3: do you guys get a sense that at this point in the movie the heat is really starting to get like like we start to feel the heat turn up Mm-hmm. Uh, on all the characters physically and emotionally
1: yeah yeah it's a great point as, as soon as ready Rahim walks in that's the foreshadowing of what's going to happen later right you walking in with that loud music the reaction and the way he shoots out as steve pointed out you can barely hear danielo's dialogue it's brilliant to show you the depth of what and i think he's going to go back to those shots again at the end they mm-hmm. are having the fight with raheem uh, and him coming in with the loud music again. So he's just showing you, and you're right. And this is, he's starting to slowly turn off the heat. So we're having this, this frust- these frustrated interactions.
0: People start to become more frequent. Yeah. You know? We hear that great music, and Mookie walks from one end of the neighborhood all the way to the other in one shot. It's a, it starts off in a zoom, zooms back into a cinegib. So the camera's. Pulling up,
2: What's up buddy? How you living, man? Oh, here come Mookie, man. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, Get, out. Get, a Get job! job. We we'll need a job, job, man!
0: And for me, this is like, here's the whole neighborhood. Here's how this is a community. By the way, as they were shooting this film, apparently this became just a part of the... People would come down to set, like started to feel that something important was happening. And I think, as I mentioned, there's a lot of artists, African-American artists, living near this in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And so this just became people were showing up and coming by. And the people that lived on this street were becoming more and more a part of the film. It sounds like, from everything I've heard, Spike runs a really warm and friendly set. Mm-hmm. You know? You've never heard anything negative about
1: Spike in terms of his sets. Uh, anybody say negative things? Uh, yeah. So no surprise.
0: Mookie goes home.
2: What is this, Mookie? Another one of your patented two hour lunch breaks? I
0: break? wanted to come home and take a quick shower. Which, by the way, hey, I totally get wanting a shower. Right. This is the one time where I go and I, I could take a pretty quick shower. Like a, <laughs> a three minute stop for a shower, I think, is totally reasonable on a day like this. I don't think that's exactly what Mookie does.
1: I just don't want you to lose the one job you've been able to keep for more than a month. That's all, okay? I'm carrying you as it is.
0: You know what I suddenly thought about? Who is Mookie and Jade? Like what who were they before? Like where are the parents? What what has Mookie's life experience been up to this point? And I wonder, too, how long, or off and on, is what I would think, has he worked for Sal? Right. right. I actually think he's and, worked off and on a long time.
3: How many jobs has he lost, too? It yeah. says, like, the one job you've been able to keep. So has this, like, lazy behavior that we see the, the, been the, the thing that's cost him over and over again?
0: Mm. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think their parents are probably, what, killed in a car accident, maybe, or something. And so... Uh, Jay and Mookie have had to kind of fend for themselves and they have this uh, apartment. Maybe this was their parents' apartment. So they just kind of took over the payments and whatever. But Jay Jay makes it very clear on a number of occasions that she's carrying Mookie. So she's probably paying three quarters of the rent while Mookie is barely paying a quarter of the rent. Yet he's walking around like he's king shit and he's not in any way, shape or form uh, in how he's handling his business, you know, And, and him going up to Jay and trying to tell her what she should do or not do. And, him taking a break in the middle of the day to go, I mean, these are luxuries that he's thinking he's owed for the minimal amount of work that he's doing. Uh, and so it. in her being the responsible person is co- correctly calling him out. Don't worry about me. I always get paid.
0: Which is a thing he repeats a lot. Yeah, you always get paid. What about your responsibilities, huh? Why don't you take better care of those? And that's what I think about with Mookie is like the contrast between I always get paid, which is his value system. As long right. as I get paid, that's then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And what she's saying, which is take care of your responsibilities, those are different. Like he has a responsibility to his kid, to his girlfriend, to Sal, his employer, to the customers he delivers things to. That's not where Mookie's head is. Mookie's head is, I always get paid. Yeah, I mean, you know, and-
1: Andre, I think we both know this. I don't know Steve how much you know, but like you know, that was a prevalent thing in like w- the rap music in the late '80s, early '90s. Is the idea of okay. getting paid, got to get my, mm-hmm. got to get my money, got to get my G's, got to get all this, got to get my stacks. You know, all of that, and it was. And I know he's crazy now. We we don't like Kanye now, but Kanye was the one of the first rappers to come out and kind of expose that bullshit and talk about how ridiculous that bullshit was about getting paid got to go to a when i go to a store i got to wear a nice new jersey shirt or whatever like all this just to convey the supposed wealth right and and but Chris Rock has said this on numerous occasions on his bits. You know, he's talking about, hey, uh, about people he knows, black people he knows going, you know, I take care of my kids. Motherfucker, you're supposed to take care of your kids. That's not something you should be bragging about. You're supposed to do this. But somehow there was a, there's a dissonance here between getting the money and take, that, that the value, the taking care of your kids is not the same value as getting paid. And you're seeing that in Mookie here. because We find out from Tina in a little bit that he hasn't been around to see her in a week. He hasn't seen his kid in a week. What the fuck? Like, it, to me, it's just like it, it shows a, a complete disconnect between what should be valued versus what is valued in a, um, a capitalist
0: society, so to speak. Well, and we see this continuum between Mookie and then Ahmed and his friends yelling at the mayor, the cornerman, and then the mayor. You know, it's like all of these people and, he, and, and all in sort of different moments and places in their lives within this continuum of this community and then uh, Mookie goes grab a shower and we go into a sequence that doesn't make any sense at all I don't think it should work and it totally totally works which is Love Daddy is listing the names of musicians as we see images of the neighborhood we love roll
2: call
3: y'all Boogie Down Productions, Rob Base, Dana Dane, Marley Mar,
0: Ola Tunji, Chuck D,
3: Ray Charles, EPMD. And this
0: came about because it was raining and they didn't have anything else to shoot. And they just came up, hey, hey, wow. Sam Jackson, why don't you just read these names? There was no intention of cutting it as a montage. That came up in post. That's where they figured out, oh, well, I can take these names with some music and show more of the neighborhood. Wow. And it's amazing. It's almost, I don't know how you feel about this, Andre, but it's almost
1: like the calm before the storm. Totally. Light, right?
3: Yeah. It disarmed me, took me down memory lane. It was almost, I know he's talking about all these different artists, but it was musical in its uh, delivery yep. and in its nature.
0: It, it also shows only a, actually a great actor could pull off I'm just going to list a bunch of names and you are going to be mesmerized. <laughs> one, one other thing about the sequence is one of the things we see as we go around the neighborhood is the cops. And every time we see them in this film, they get scarier and scarier to me. And maybe that's just part of the dread because I know where the film is going. But it just the, t- the way Spike is building tension is powerful. Well, and this is going to shock some people because
1: I know there are some people out there, and I've never understood this. There's people in this film sphere who say, I should be able to just get a movie once. I should be able to just watch a movie once and get it. And it's like, sure, but the great films, the classic films, I think the directors shoot them knowing that you're going to have to watch the film multiple times to get everything they're trying to tell you. And so you may not have caught that the first time that the police look like they're more threatening as the film goes along here in this back half. But watching it again, you do, and so you understand that Spike was doing that and knew he was doing that, and so you caught it, and that speaks volumes to how great of a film director he is. Because it just drives me insane when people say, oh, I got the movie, I'm good. And it's like, <laughs> you
3: have
1: no idea what you're talking
3: about. And the times when I've directed, I've been on set and my AD is like, just, we got to go, we got we to gotta get the shot, we got to get the shot. And I'm like, no, I, no there's something I want to get here. Oh, it's, it's not going to matter anyway. Uh, Only you're going to know it. But I feel like if the director and the writer know it, they have faith that when someone's peeling back the layers, that they will somehow find it. There's that additional layer of subtext. It's a different, that's why there's some people AD and some people direct. And, and, (laughs) and, you know, because Spike Lee's like, okay, no, there's, there's depth to this that they will get when they watch it again. Where some people are like, "Oh no, just as long as it makes
0: sense, it's fine. Keep going." I, I, I'm so glad you brought this up, Andre, and I'm really glad you're on the show for this because it's not a thing we talk about. Is the constant time pressure on the set and the balance because <laughs> you always have to make the choice of, "Am I going to move on? Am I going to really fight to get this shot how I want?" And that ad is always on you, always, always, yep. always.
3: And I always, I, I don't ever fight for time. I always fight for the shot. Yeah, and and we're, and there's always a uh, you know going at it. John has seen it on set. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're going to put the shoulder, you're going to get his shoulder with a camera on it and we're going to get the shot. That, and that's it. Because that's, I, to yeah. you know, directors feel like every shot makes the movie. So whereas his job is to get in on time, but my job is to deliver the best film possible.
0: Well, and sometimes it's a really small detail. Like we talked about the shot looking up at Rosie through the ice water, like that took more time, you know, mm-hmm. And, yep. and the movie would totally be the, exactly the same without that shot, except it wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. This next scene is remarkable. Mm. First of all, it's all in one shot. And as we say, as, as a lot of these scenes with, with this film are, and it's not showy, the camera is just going to push in on Sal and Pino sitting at a table in front of the window. And this is where it's like, Is this tough on the on the cameraman or the dolly guy or pulling focus? No, those things aren't that tough for the shot. Those actors have to deliver every fucking moment exactly, (laughs) perfect, beautifully. And man, do they! And I love by the way that Pino calls his dad Daddy. (laughs) I think that's a really good bit of writing. He says,
2: "Daddy, you know I've been thinking. Maybe we should sell this place.
3: Get out while we're still ahead." And alive. Mm. And alive.
0: Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that's the, the cops later on are going to say, hey, Sal, when are you getting out of here? And maybe, maybe we could, could try something different. Well,
2: what am I going to do? What do I, that's all I know. What am I doing? I've been here 25 years. Where am I going?
0: And then Pino says. I'm sick of niggas. Watch Danny Aiello's face. Because Sal doesn't say that word. I don't think. I mean, uh, he's yeah. going to later in the movie. <laughs> But that is not a normal word for him to say. Oh. Yeah. Uh and this next it's gotta be rough. I mean, it's a weird thing for an actor to do to say horrible, hateful, disgusting mm-hmm. things. And and, and John Taturo is a great actor. And he says
2: It's like I come to work at planet of the apes. I don't like being around them the animals.
0: And the thing is Sal loves a lot of people in this community. Yeah, he might not love bugging out and radio Rahim, but he does care about a lot of people. And his son, who he has raised, is calling them animals. Why you got so much anger in you? And what Pino says is that his friends laugh at him for working here. Is. There it is. Yeah, it's that bullshit, toxic
1: manhood nonsense and cultural nonsense, manhood stuff. That that that's the truth of it. That's what frustrates him Pino is such a weak center as a human being that his friends giving him shit about him working in a neighborhood where he's making money he's paying for his stuff they have to find a way to make him look inferior to them so they make fun of that and Yellow, or i mean uh, sal does a great job of deconstructing that and says them do your friends put money in your pocket pino
2: food on your table they pay your rent, the roof over your head.
1: Huh? They're not your friends. And he's trying to tell them. But when you're young, you don't know that. Especially when you're young and you think you know everything and you think your friends are the center of your universe, to you, it's it's you can't see the bigger picture, you know.
3: And how old would you say, Sal and 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 Piano, and Vito? You know, <clears throat> how old do you think they all are in this movie? Because Ooh. He's not exactly talking to his 15 year old son. No,
0: no, no, he isn't. No. So I, I will tell you something that was upsetting to me is I looked up how old Danny Aiello was when they shot this movie. Yeah. 56. Yeah. So he's three years older than me. <laughs> and I found that really upsetting. <laughs> I, I think Pino's 25 at least. And maybe Vito is 18 or 19 or wow. 20. That's hey, what, that's that my gut. much older than me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a kid.
1: And and I'll tell you this, the honest truth, this scene hit me really hard this time around because, I mean, I had these talks with my dad, not about black people, obviously, but about, like, the perception of the job, right? And, you know, I tried to get my dad to move us out of Virginia for so long, and he wouldn't do it for his own reasons and my mom and and whatever. And my dad worked, you know, like – it's not an easy job being a banquet waiter. I mean, that's not a prideful job, but when you're a person of that age and he wanted to accomplish more. And unfortunately for his own reasons and other reasons, he wasn't able to get to where he wanted to get to. And so at times I would look down on my father, no lie. I would look down on my father and the things he did. And I, we'd have conversations like this and, and I, you know, and in, in the end I didn't understand. And now of course, obviously as I got older, I understood and, and we had a great conversation about everything before he passed. But like at the time I had those conversations with him hmm. and I was, and I'm lo- seeing a little bit of myself in, in, in Pino as he's having this conversation with his dad. Cause you think, you know, better you, you young people always think they know better. That's kind of, The unfortunate truth. And sometimes they do. I'm not going to say they don't always, but sometimes they do. But most of the time they don't because they haven't been out in that world. And certainly Pino has lived a sheltered life in his community, you know, making working with his dad, making money, paying his bills. He has no idea what it's like to actually be out there in the world and have to survive on his own and make money on his own to put food on his table. That's the difference. But yet he wants to tell. Uh, Sal what to do. He's almost looking down on his own father. Like, you just get out of here. We could just do this. Why don't we just do this? Why do you have to stay here? And by extension, because he's embarrassed, he's embarrassed for his dad. There's an extension there. And so he's embarrassed for the family that they have to feed black people in order to pay their rent and do whatever. And for him, he sees it as, because of his
0: friend's influence, he sees it as something um, to be ashamed of. That's that's great what you just said. And I, and I, I think... <laughs> I have so much compassion for Sal Not that Sal is perfect, because Sal is not perfect right. But like, the, the weight that he carries He's carrying the weight of his two sons mm-hmm. He The mayor comes in and he gives him money Probably every day, you know I mm-hmm. bet there's other people in the community that he's Helped out in one way or another And Mookie is not the best employee, but he keeps him I, I, I think Sal's carrying A lot of stuff Yeah, And I think part of what he gets back Is the love, because he says
2: I sat in this wind day eh? I watch these little kids get old, and I've seen the old people get older. Yeah, sure, some of them don't like us, but most of them do. I mean, for Christ's sake, Pino, you know, they grew up on my food, on my food, and I'm very proud of that.
3: Am I wrong? Does he say at the end of that speech, and I take great pride in that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like he says it, and I think that's an important piece of dialogue, because he doesn't, Spike doesn't just end it on they grew up on my food. He's yeah. telling his son, hey, this is my sense of pride. Yeah. And I think that's part of why he carries the load, which interesting, but again, by the way, we haven't seen a mom or a wife yeah. for, for oh, sale. Um, Yeah, you know, he he's permits. carrying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that sense of pride and the fact that uh, the whole neighborhood, the whole block grew up on the food is not something he's ready to just to get rid of because his friends are laughing at him. Because yeah, your friends are, are teasing him, so I, I thought that was uh, another fascinating point. That's that's powerful, and I know and Pino doesn't get it. Look, what I'm trying to say, son, is uh,
2: Sal's famous pizzeria is here to stay. I'm sorry, I'm your father, and I love you. I'm sorry, but
0: but that's the way it is. You know what I wish? I wish Sal would fire Pino. Pito, Pito, you don't have to work here. Like, go get another job. It's your dad. Your dad can't. That's that's tough for a father to fire his son. I mean, I don't really mean fire him, but let him go. Well, I think he is
1: saying that, though, Steve, in in coded words. I wonder if you agree, Andre. I think he's saying, this is staying. So it's your choice whether you want to work here anymore or not. He doesn't say that, but I think it's implied by him saying, it's not going anywhere. I'm not moving. This is the deal. And I think he's essentially telling Pino, you can accept
0: it or you can move the fuck on. And then right at this moment, because Spike isn't going to let us just sit in a moment. Up comes Smiley. And Pino is pissed.
2: Get the fuck out of here, man. Get the fuck out
0: of here. Sal is embarrassed. And then here is what. Ernst Dickerson and Spike Lee say, and I cannot believe it, but they say that this is true is that every moment that happens from this point forward is improvised, that that is supposed to be the end of the scene. And that John Turturro decided to get up and go outside. Wow. That's what they, and I'm just going like, and and Andre, you you know, this when you do a oneer, it is so stressful because you have to get the whole thing. People don't tend to like improvise on a shot like this and he gets up and he goes outside and apparently again this is what i i understand that they said is that the the corner men those actors are actually just outside there and when john tatura starts yelling all of them start improvising back well no surprise with robin harris yeah
1: yeah no surprise
3: at all
0: and, wow and danny aiello's like reaction his pain at what his son is doing at this moment oh. and it's so and the thing too is I think about the fact that Smiley isn't a character that was in the initial script. Mm -hmm. And I also think that if part of what happens at the end is powered by John Turturro going outside and yelling at Smiley. And the fact that that's all improvised is amazing to me.
2: Get a fucking job, man. Why don't you get a fucking job, man? Go to fucking work. Fuck you, man. Get out, man. Get out. See what I'm
3: saying?
0: And that they just kept rolling, you know? Spike yeah. didn't say cut. Always roll.
3: You just, because <laughs> you never know what the actors are going to bring, especially when you have that type of talent. There are times when actors make writers look so great if yeah. the director gives the actor the freedom to just run with it. And this is a classic case where you have, you know, a master class in, keep acting until you hear cut. Yep. And staying with it. And they advance the
0: story. Yeah. Because then, because then Sal gets up and goes outside, right? Which is great, and and maybe it's very it's possible that Spike said, "Hey, Danny, why don't you go up and go outside too?" Make, make you know he might have done that, and and I'll say, and Andre, I'm so glad you said that because this it comes up when I'm teaching directing all the time because student directors they the last line happens and at the period they go cut, and it's like no 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 don't say cut, you take a breath, you count to three, and then you say cut, and then I say tell the cinematographer. When the director says "cut," don't cut. Right. You take a breath and you count, and then you cut because there's a moment. There's that moment after, and that's where the whole the whole scene is in that moment after. Sometimes I love this because if it
1: wasn't obviously Smiley coming in the back and forth, but the the fact that it extends and um, escalates is great because later on in the film, Smiley becomes the third man. In this trio of people who come in to threaten Sal, uh, and so having this interaction with Pino and with Sal, because remember Sal tries to offer him money to appease him there at the end of this back and forth, as he tells Pino to go inside. Smiley refuses the money, and so mm-hmm. you know here is Sal trying to smooth over the situation and can't because he's late to react to his son. And mm-hmm. I and, and so it's such an interesting point you bring up, Steve, because I was watching this time around, I'm thinking to myself. Why is he so late to, as soon as his son gets up, he should have gotten up and he knew what Pino was going to do and put it back. But the fact that it was improvised, I wouldn't have Daniela was an actor was just watching John Tortura right. as an actor do his thing. And then maybe Spike says, Hey, why don't you go up after him or whatever. And, and then we have the back and forth the interaction. So to me, it was, it, now to know that it was improvised gives me even more reason to kind of appreciate what Daniela was doing in this moment. You know,
3: And artistically, I love staying inside the, the yes. diner yes. too
1: yeah yep. right because it makes you feel helpless as an audience member because you're like no i want to see what's happening yeah. and you're just yeah. like, you can't see what's happening you're stuck here son you're like no 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 and so it's brilliant yeah
0: and again this isn't one of the great tracking shots of all time like in goodfellas like in touch of evil like in the player it's not one of those this is a over four minute long shot yeah wow that is a that is a lot of a shot and i think you know, think of everything that we've built up here. We have bugging Out Angry about No Brothers on the Wall. Radio Rahim has come in blasting that music, and, and Sal felt disrespectful for that. Smiley now said, fuck you, to Pino. I, Pino's level of anger and racism is building. There's, We've seen conflicts with the Korean grocers. We've seen conflicts between the mayor and the younger people, and Mookie is taking a shower. <laughs> and with all of that tension building i think this is a good time to end part two of our exploration of do the right thing are we going to finish this up in part three i don't know but i what i will say is i'm enjoying this conversation so much and for that really have to thank andre for coming on as our guest this has been absolutely fantastic
3: anytime love i love being here i love this movie and your guys insight and your all all the astute little things you pick up on
0: man Really great stuff. Thank you, Andre. Well, thank you. Um, as always, we'd love to hear what you think of Do the Right Thing. You can follow us on Facebook. You can go on Twitter and look for the Cine underscore files, the Files podcast on Instagram. Subscribe to the show at all the subscription places, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. I think you should subscribe at all of them. Why not? And definitely, definitely please leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. You can also rate the show on Spotify. You can even rate the show on Audible if you listen to it there. You can buy or stream Do the Right thing along with every other movie we've ever reviewed at cinephiles.net and you can support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where every week john and i record cinephile shorts on all sorts of topics most of them of your choosing Uh, and if you want to find me you can follow me at sr morris on twitter sr morris one on instagram and if you like star trek you can listen to enterprise incidents where we just had for the fourth time ralph senensky the 98 year old director of the original series come on to talk about one of the episodes that he directed John, how would people find you? Uh, you
1: can always find me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram uh, and TikTok. Uh, and then the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, doing a lot more stuff on Twitch there as well. Um, the John and Wendy shows live on 3 p.m. PT on Fridays. And then uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca Says for all the other content I do. And then my two other podcasts, the Geek Buddies and the Cinephiles. No, no, the top ten. There you go. The Geek Buddies and the top ten. That is all out there for you all to enjoy.
0: You can always plug the Cinephiles on the Cinephiles. <laughs> Why not? Um, Andre, if people wanted to find you on social media or see some of your great work, how would they go about doing that?
3: Well, you could definitely find me on Instagram, on IG, at Andre Gordon Official. You can find me on TikTok, at Andre Gordon Official. You can find me on Facebook, at Andre Gordon Official. Or just search Andre Gordon. And <laughs> YouTube is. Uh, slash Four horseman Studios, Four horseman Studios. And you can find some of my great work and some of my not so great work on Amazon and uh, Netflix. Just uh, search up Andre Gordon. All my stuff should come up.
0: Thank you. This has been absolutely fantastic. And we will be back next week to continue, possibly conclude, our discussion of do the right thing right here on the Cinefox.